Hi, my name is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to share easy to understand evidence-based holistic insights to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about why some locations in the short run and even sometimes over sort of medium and even longer term outperform blue chip suburbs. So anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a while knows that I'm an advocate of investing in high quality investment grade assets that are typically located in well-developed blue chip areas. However, I want to talk about this topic today for two reasons. Firstly, I've observed on social media that some buyers agents have been advertising short-term capital gains. So for an example, one that I saw recently where a buyer's agent was claiming to have purchased a property 18 months ago for a client for 430000 and saying, well, it's now worth five hundred and ten, and that implies a 19% capital growth rate. Well, firstly, his maths is off. That's only 17.2%, but really that's over an 18-month period. So we should annualize that, which means it's really close to 11%. Having said that, Of course, there's costs associated with involved in investing in property, including stamp duty and so forth. So really the gain's more like 7%. But my point is it's only been 18 months. So, you know, you can be randomly lucky. And unfortunately, there's really no regulation at the moment around property. I don't expect there ever will be because it's regulated by the states rather than the federal government to protect individual investors from such advertising and really ultimately it's misleading advertising. Secondly, listener to this podcast, Stephen, observe that regional towns have done really well over the last period of time. And, you know, there's always these pockets of geographical areas that kind of outperform. And he asked me to sort of consider that and think a little bit deeper about that. Plus also, and I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you an example I've noticed some what would seemingly be secondary suburbs in Melbourne have done incredibly well over a 30-year period. So it's always good to think about that. Why have they performed so strongly compared to investment-grade locations? So they've done just as well. They probably haven't done better, but they've done just as well. Putting all this together really invited me to ask myself the question, is it crucial to only invest in blue chip suburbs? And I'm sure it's something that a lot of people are thinking about also. And so I thought it was worth um, considering that. I think the first thing we should discuss is short-term performance. And really it's meaningless. Investors and their advisors really can't control short-term market performance. We all know that markets are volatile and unpredictable and no one has develop a methodology for predicting what markets will do in the short run. However, over extended periods of time, you know, market cycles even out. So performance is more predictable. But short-term performance is more susceptible to things like popularity and trends and those sorts of things, whereas long-term performance is almost always driven by the assets, fundamentals or lack thereof. You know, investors can control fundamentals. What they can't control is markets. So it's entirely possible that you invest in a fundamentally sound asset and you're lucky enough to enjoy above average growth in the first couple of years of owning that asset. And of course, you'd feel pretty proud of your decision as a result of that, but let's not fool ourselves. That's just complete luck. Because conversely, you could buy a fundamentally sound asset 
and see very little growth for 10 years. I know of experienced investors, good investors that have done that, have experiencing that. And in fact, I know of one particular investor I can think of that has, you know, has a lot of wealth. And he's telling me about a property he owned for almost 20 years. And the first 20 years, it did nothing. And then the last few years of that 20-year period, it really went great guns and it generated a lot of capital growth. So when I see businesses advertise short-term returns, I'm skeptical. And I think sometimes what they're advertising is their marketing prowess rather than their investment acumen. On the other hand, highlighting long-term returns. So if you've got someone, you know, if you see an advisor or a buyer's agent or whatever saying, here's our average return over 20 years, I think that's compelling. That's a lot more compelling. Problem is, a lot of these guys out there that have a lot of marketing prowess don't necessarily have a lot of longevity in terms of 20 years of data to share on social media. So again, let's be really careful about what we're looking at, what we believe, and I think a healthy level of skepticism when considering anything from it related to financial services is kind of good. It's healthy. The next thing I wanted to mention is there's always going to be a geographical location that's going to outperform a blue chip suburb over the next couple of years. Like, let's just make friends with that, that there's always these what they call hotspots, right? And they're easy to see in hindsight, really difficult to predict or pick those hotspots before they actually pop but they're going to happen. It is just inevitable. And they occur because short-term performance can be driven by lots of different factors. You know, I know of a particular location where some buyer's agents were promoting uh, that particular location and, and they moved the market. You know, they, they put a lot of clients into that location and, and prices started to climb. Uh, shifts in lifestyle preferences like tree and sea changes, obviously that happened over COVID. We saw that. Infrastructure can sometimes give a, a one-off boost to a particular location. Low interest rates, that had a big impact on home upgrades and so forth, particularly for higher income earners during the COVID period. These are sort of trendy factors that don't have a lot of longevity to them, but can have an impact on property prices. The late founder of Vanguard, Jack Bogle, was famous for saying, and I quote, reversion to the mean is the iron rule of financial markets. And it's so true. It means that periods of below average performance are followed by periods of above average performance. And over the long run, returns will revert to their mean, which means if you get an area that has experienced a lot of property growth over a relatively short period of time, you can bet yourself if that area doesn't have strong fundamentals, that the next period of time will be very flat, or in fact, prices could fall as we've seen as a result of the COVID burst. So in some regional areas and sort of beachside, beachside locations, prices have come off of 10 or 20%. So at the end of the day, a location's long-term performance is going to be driven by fundamentals. We can't rely on these sorts of trends or even picking these trends. And that means really locations where Housing and land supply is fixed and finite, and demand is excessive and will always continue to be excessive. Now, I've got a chart on the blog on the website, which of course the link's in the show notes as always. And what I did, I tried to graphically illustrate this. And what I did, was I compared a property that had a really great growth spurt. So the first seven years, it doubled in value. 
then it just moved in line with inflation for the next 15 odd years, then had another little bit of a growth spurt, and then again moved in line with inflation, which is very predictable. I mean, I've seen these sorts of situations in the past, and that's what happens in these sort of outlying areas that don't have a lot of fundamentals. You can They can experience a lot of growth in a very short period of time, but the mean reversion kicks in eventually. Versus an investment grade property, you know, that just gives you steady growth over a long period of time of around about 7%. Well, when I compared these two situations or two scenarios, I should say, the investment grade property was worth 44% more in 20 years and almost double the value in 40 years of the alternate property. But after 10 years, a relatively short period of time, the, the growth property the, the one that was in the hotspot, the one with less fundamentals, was worth about the same after 10 years. And over that first 10 years, it did have more equity than the investment grade property. So it's possible, obviously, if you can pick those hotspots to make money, but what it means that it's not a long-term investment. And we know, and I've spoken about a number of times in this podcast, the power of compounding capital growth over a long period of time. And it's that compounding factor that really generates a lot of equity from in a dollar value perspective. And so holding a property for 20 or 30 years dramatically changes the dollar value equity in that property. So then the goal with property investing is not to make short-term investments, not to pick a market that's going to outperform over the next five to seven years. It's really picking a market and a type of property that has the propensity to keep up a really strong capital growth rate over a 30 plus year period, because that's when you're going to benefit from that compounding capital growth. Now that sort of addresses the hotspot methodology. However, I have noticed that some sub suburbs that aren't typically classified as investment grade have demonstrated really strong growth over several decades. Take, for example, the suburb that I purchased my first property in, which is in Moorabbin, in Melbourne, which is about 20-ish kilometres from the CBD. Over the past 25 years, if I compare the same type of dwelling with the one that I purchased 25 years ago, no wonder I feel old, it's grown about 8%. 8% is pretty considerable. So, you know, I bought the property for 150000 in 1998, and that property would be worth 1.3-ish now. So that's 8% compounding growth. But similarly, neighbouring suburbs to Moorabbin like Bentley and McKinnon, for example, have performed exceptionally well, if not better. Now, these are suburbs 20Ks from the CBD. They would typically be considered secondary suburbs, but they've generated a lot of capital growth. And so why have they done so well? And are these locations just as good as investment grade locations? And will this pace of growth continue? And I think these are really good questions to ask ourselves. So having a think about it then, what, why has that performance occurred? I mean, the first thing to think about is the ripple effect of affordability. So as property prices soar in investment grade locations, they become more unaffordable and so more buyers are sort of pushed out to adjoining suburbs until their prices are pushed out and then the the ripple effect continues on just because of affordability. So that's a really important point which I will come back to later in this episode. The second thing is that 
some of the property price increase can be attributed to owners renovating, rebuilding or redeveloping their property. So three to four decades ago, these suburbs were dominated by pretty plain houses, sort of post-war brick veneer, two and three bedroom homes, you know, doubles, triple fronted sort of homes that are really pretty, look pretty old and tired and so forth. Whereas you drive through these suburbs today, most of them have been bulldozed and they've either got a couple of townhouses on the block or maybe they've got a really large uh, family home with a pool in the backyard and so forth. So there's been a lot of capital gone into the suburb has definitely changed. There's been a lot of capital that's gone into it. Now, having said that, the underlying land value has still changed. As I said, I cited the type of property that I bought in Rabin 25 years ago, and I compared one that hadn't gone through a renovation and so forth. It's still appreciated by 8%, so it's still significant. But again, maybe it's because the attractiveness is that I can buy a house in that area, this post-war thing that's never going to suit my needs. I can bulldoze it. And I know I'm not bulldozing something that's incredibly valuable and I can build what I want. And and you can only really do that in an area that hasn't gone through that sort of gentrification kind of situation as well. So this change has already occurred in these suburbs. And once it's occurred once, it can't occur again. I mean, you can only kind of bulldoze and redevelop. I guess you can bulldoze a, a really big family home and build a slightly bigger one, but that's not really going to have the same effect or impact. So I guess we've got to ask ourselves, which is more likely to produce a capital growth rate exceeding, say, 7% per annum over the next 40 years? A secondary suburb that's been through this gentrification process or a traditional blue chip suburb? Well, I think the answer lies in investing in a location that's less dependent on household income and borrowing capacity to drive capital growth. And I've talked about this concept in previous episodes, but in blue chip established locations, there is arguably less connection or reliance on household income. And that's because we've got things like much higher income earners that get different components of income, like bonuses and employee shares and so forth, which are becoming more and more common these days. Inheritances, businesses, asset sales, all those sorts of things can go into those locations that attract, you know, people that are in the sort of wealthiest 5% of Australians, whereas in suburbs that are sort of dominated by middle class or upper middle class, however you want to classify it, their ability to spend money on their property is very heavily linked to their income and also their borrowing capacity. And so what you want to do is invest in location, I think, that is less reliant. Now, there's always going to be some reliance, of course, but you want to diversify reliance And in most areas in Australia, prices are linked to income and borrowing capacity. We've had a massive increase in borrowing capacity over the last 20 or 30 years. If you compare borrowing capacity in the 80s versus today, then that's not going to change in the next 30 years in terms of ability to borrow higher amounts. And incomes are growing, but not as fast as, as property values. So eventually that'll level out as well as borrowing capacity stays the same. So investing in an area where it's not heavily reliant on income to drive future growth gives you, I think, a lower investment risk. I was interested to read some recent research by Ray White's chief economist. 
And what she looked at is the most expensive houses in Australia, so top 5% in terms of purchase price or sale price, and looking at those uh, sales data, and then compared it to the median. And she drew the conclusion that these luxury properties or high-end properties outperform from a capital growth rate perspective on average around 13%, but as much as 30%. And I think this is kind of good data. It's a little bit anecdotal. Okay, it's put together by a real estate firm. So of course, what are they going to, what conclusion are they going to arrive at? So have a little bit of skepticism about it, but I think it is good. It does show that, you know, just from a logical perspective, we would think, okay, these blue chip locations are highly sought after by people that earn more and more and have a greater capacity to be able to spend more on their home, seemingly is an attractive place to invest in. And at least these numbers, and you know how interested I am about the evidence, at least these numbers support it, even if you don't place a huge amount of weight on the research. So to sum up this analysis, I draw three conclusions. Firstly, it's important to acknowledge that there will always be some suburbs that will outperform blue chip investment grade locations over the short to medium term, but identifying them is very challenging, and so therefore it's a high risk strategy. Secondly, even if you can correctly pinpoint an outperforming location, it's crucial to consider that it's not going to outperform over many decades, probably because it doesn't have the fundamentals in order to do that which means that you're going to have to divest of that asset at some point, pay all the transactional costs associated with that, including selling costs, agent fees, capital gains tax, all those sorts of things. And then you're going to have to be right again when you pick the next growth suburb to reinvest your money. But meanwhile, you'll have to pay some more stamp duty. And finally, I believe that blue chip investment grade locations carry the least amount of investment risk because there's less reliance on household income and they're less affected by changes in borrowing capacity to stimulate capital growth compared to secondary suburbs. Okay, so thanks for listening as always. If you found this episode really interesting, please share it or leave a rating. Again, there's a discount code in the show notes so you can buy my book for one of the books for $20 including postage. And of course, until next week, bye for now.